Have you ever looked at someone thriving in their business and wondered, how did they do it? Have you ever thought that you can't have mental health and success? Have you doubted your own ability to create a financially thriving career that still has your well-being at the forefront? Well, welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, where we tackle those very questions. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook, and I'm a clinical psychologist and speaker that takes you behind the business and inside the minds of today's most successful and personally thriving leaders. We're taking a look at our guests' secrets to success, how they bounce back when they've been knocked down, and what advice they have for you. Oh, and I've got another motive too. As a clinician and company consultant who frequently sees employees struggling mentally and knocking on the door of burnout, I'm invested in having conversations about how we can bring more wellness into company culture. I wanna make sure that everyone has the absolute best work experience that we all can have. And I believe that includes making sure our businesses are invested in their employees as people, not just as time card stampers and payroll lists. So get excited to listen, learn, and leverage your own leadership skills. These conversations will help you tap into your own bravery while helping you reprioritize your sense of well-being, both at work and when you're off the clock. So step inside the conference room with me and welcome to the boardroom. Your brain is about to get a major bonus. Hello, everyone. Welcome so much to this episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. I am so excited for you to hear this this episode we have. You are going to absolutely love it. I have on with me today, Anthony Martori. Let me tell you a bit about Anthony. He joined Nike's global procurement team in 2017, starting his professional career in a competitive three-year rotational program, where he gained experience in brand marketplace procurement, materials procurement, supplier relationship management, and data analytics before finding his home in supplier diversity. In 2020, Anthony helped architect the inaugural Global Business Diversity and Inclusion Initiative and now serves as the partnerships lead for business diversity and inclusion at Nike. As a lifetime competitive athlete, Anthony has translated his passion for sport into becoming a leader within supplier diversity at Nike. Wow, what what an introduction. Anthony, I am so excited to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Oh, and I I mentioned this before we hit recording, but we're both UCLA Bruins too. So that's pretty awesome as well. I love that. I sure do love my Bruin community. So um, any chance chance I can get uh, to connect with my Bruin community, I will absolutely do it. I love it. Well, let's hope it's a good March Madness for us, right? We'll see. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, okay. You've already had quite an incredible career. I can't wait to ask you some questions here today. You know, in 2020, you helped lead Nike's global business diversity and inclusion initiative. That's a really big deal. And I'm curious how it's been being a part of such an important development and, you know, what you're most proud of with the work that you've done there. Yeah. Thank you for that, Lauren. Um, You know, I think after um, the unfortunate events of George Floyd a few years back, the world, not just the United States, took a, a different look at DNI. And they, I think a lot of companies, organizations, governments, um, you name it, started to really realize that there's a lot more we can do here. And not just more from an, an idea where, um, you know, it's just the right thing to do, more understanding the value behind it, right? And, and properly investing in these resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Nike was one of those, you know, before um, those events happened, particularly we hired uh, an expert who's my boss right now, who's been in this, in this space a long time, uh, someone who built um, 
uh, business diversity and inclusion at multiple entities before. And he came in to really build this from the ground up at Nike and I, and I joined in on him. And what's really fun about it is everybody is very familiar with diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you throw that out there, there aren't going to be too many people who have not heard about it or have the smallest understanding of what it is. That number is a lot smaller when you get to the business side of it, right? We call ourselves business diversity and inclusion, but the industry at large is known as supplier diversity. And what that takes a look at is, are your, your, your corporate expenditures, are your dollars actually uh, you know, matching the words that you're saying with DEI? So are you actually investing diverse owned communities, job growth, diverse owned entrepreneurs, really those marginalized groups who naturally, as we know, maybe are not winning um, those lucrative contracts. And so it's just making it a, a cultural thing where people are aware of it and, and spreading that education. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like Nike and your team is really being intentional about just not talking the talk, but actually walking the walk and making sure it's showing up and how the money is being spent, who's being hired, all these different elements. And I'm curious, you know, how do you want to see this moving forward, right? Because I think that's my my fear and, and maybe many people's fear. You know, we don't want this to be something trending. We want this to be something that happens forever, right? So how do you want to see this continue in the future? Yeah, I think I think setting goals is a big thing, whether it's your personal development. I'm sure you know about that more than anybody with your clients that you work with. You got to set a goal if you want to reach a certain target in the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're just hoping for something or wishing for something, it may or may not come true, right? So just as if a company sets revenue goals or whatever um, new member growth, whatever kind of goal you have, we want to make sure those same goals are being set at the highest level of the company. Um, so people are aware, like I'm personally responsible for this. And personally, I think it's one of the things that most people can impact on their day-to-day job, right? A lot of people, when you're in supply chain, right, you need to buy a vendor to get the packages from one place in the world to another. If you're in marketing, you need to, um, you know, purchase some agency creative or design or helping you come up with the idea you need to do. So considering you need, you need to, in many instances, spend money to make money, how can we really incentivize that? So when we're identifying what our goals are in our specific realm, wherever we sit, that we ensure that we're embedding these DEI practices into that. Why? Because it's going to make the company Um, better and really resonate with the type of consumers that we have in today's marketplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And one thing I'm curious about as well, because I'm so passionate about, you know, really creating workplaces that foster wellness for all employees, that we're creating safe spaces, also brave spaces, you know, where people feel like they can speak up and, and share. I'm curious, you know, with this work that you're doing, it absolutely impacts people's mental health. And I'm curious if you've seen any changes at Nike, you know, as you're doing diversity and inclusion work, are you seeing any shifts in well-being in the workplace at Nike there? Curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, wellness is such a big topic right now. I think that's another one that mental health, personal well-being, in COVID, we all went through it, right? Nobody wants to be in the same four walls 24 hours a day. I think we've all just been begging to, to go outside and, and human connection, right? Um, what we've really seen over the past few months and actually years of our program, it's very clear people have passion around this. And at the end of the day, 
you get more satisfaction from giving than getting, right? So if you're giving an opportunity to someone that never would have had this opportunity before, Mm -hmm. it's not just me. It's not just everybody gets a sense of, you know what? It's bigger than myself. Yeah. And, and, and that personal satisfaction really comes through. So that's one thing I've noticed um, with employees and, and colleagues and stakeholders uh, with whom I've been working with is, is that's very clear. And, and I've seen that transition as we educate our leaders, they're helping identify other parts in the business where we can embody this strategy. That's a lot bigger than even maybe my own purview or my, that of my teammates. So it's incredibly impactful um, and it continues, it continues really to evolve every day. So we're, we're happy about that. Absolutely. Well, and, and that must be quite profound. I would think these contracts, especially, I mean, Nike is a huge company, you know, you partner with someone that's going to change their life. Like that is a really powerful position to be in. And so it sounds like Nike has been really intentional about that, which is great to hear. Yeah. It's all about multi-generational wealth. You know, there's a lot of studies that really get into the fact on what is the most impactful way to benefit these communities and, and, and factions of society who have been historically just not given the same amount of access and resource. Mm-hmm. There's been studies about real estate, education, um, philanthropic efforts. None of them are as important as the economics of empowering, hiring, and retaining diverse own entrepreneurs mm-hmm. because it creates that trickle-down effect they then hire people in that community, yep. the money stays in the community, right? And so that, that's why we believe there's so much uh, prospect in this area, mm-hmm. just because of the effect that I can have. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That gets me excited hearing about it. And I'm curious to hear more about your personal experience working at Nike. Like, I feel like I hear from so many people that their dream is to work at Nike. Like people would move to Portland in a heartbeat. And I know we were talking before we recorded, you just moved back to LA, but I'm curious to hear how it's been for you working at Nike and especially hear more about this three rotational program that you did, because that's unique. and, And that caught my eye as well. So sports has always been a huge part of my life. Um, it's almost all I knew gr- growing up, right? I, I ran track. I played soccer. I didn't know another life. Uh, when I did get to UCLA, I ran track. I ran the 800 meters. Um, so it's pretty much like been embedded in my DNA, but I never really, you know, if you were to go back to high school or I would have like dream job, of course, right? But I never really saw that connection, mm. especially as a political science major, Um, I knew I wanted to get into business. I knew I loved the combination of business and politics, but I just didn't see what that path, um, you know, was going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, After I graduated and I did some traveling, I finally matriculated to Nike um, because one of my friends um, acquired the same exact position and recommended me for it. So Mm -hmm. out of nowhere, I went from being unemployed after graduating to three, four months moving up to Nike World Headquarters and starting my career. Wow. So it was it was super unplanned. I got lucky. I was actually planning to be, uh, I studied for the test to become a diplomat because I was so intrigued with international politics, international economics. Um, obviously that didn't work out. Now I'm here uh, as a Nike employee, mm-hmm. but I really used a lot of those experiences. And I think Nike as a company valued my experience mm-hmm. saying, hey, look, you took a gap year after you graduated. We value that. Because guess what? Our very own founder took a six-month backpacking trip around the world as well when he started this company. 
so it was it was a lot of things that worked out in my favor. I love that. I love that. Well, and a follow-up question I'd have to that because, you know, I think especially sometimes millennials, Gen Z, we're so socialized to like have a plan, right? Of what's coming up next. Sometimes the plan, in fact, a lot of the time, the plan winds all the way around. And, you know, it sounds like your journey, maybe some things like you mentioned, wanting to become a diplomat, maybe it didn't go exactly according to plan. I'm curious if you have advice for someone who's listening to the podcast today, who maybe just found out, okay, my plan did not, is not looking like it's going to happen as I thought it would, maybe feeling disappointed. I'm curious if you have any advice for that person who might be listening right now. Oh man, I mean, that was me not that long ago. So <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I would say is that you're not alone, right? We, we're, we're all trying to figure it out. Even people who front and they show like, yo, I got it all figured out. They don't, right? We're, we're all on every stage of our life trying to evolve, trying to understand more of this complex nature that we're living in. Um, you know, society puts such a, a strain that you have to figure it out at every aspect of your life. From high school, you got to know where you want to go to college. From college, you got to know the major to the job. You got to hop right into work, go get your master's, right? It's always this cycle of you need to do better. You need to um, predict that next step and, and be in it before it happens. Mm-hmm. Life doesn't work like that. Look at COVID, right? Nobody saw COVID coming and it changed a million lives in the snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. So, and frankly, how everybody lives now. So I just think having having ease with not having all the answers. I mean, I myself, I always knew deep down culturally what type of organization I would want to work for. Mm-hmm. I didn't write down in my notebook, it's going to be Nike. Some people are way more organized and it works out. <laughs> I wish I was more like you in that, in, in that aspect. But for me, you know, I just knew what I valued. I knew I valued maintaining my health, having the ability to work out um, every day. Um, and when I finally did get to Nike, those things aligned. So they valued my experience because they realized what type of person I was. And I valued Nike because I realized that they would understand this is what's important to me. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing, really taking more of a pragmatic approach where it's like, you don't have to always fit um, the box in this specific area. Mm -hmm. And you can be open to different types of options because that's that's really where the magic comes in because it really is when you're least expecting it, when it always works out. It's true. I love that flexibility that you're speaking to. Like, yeah, it's okay to have a plan, but be flexible in it. And the the other piece that you said there that I absolutely love is the values fit. Like that's so much of the work that I do as a psychologist is helping people identify what are your values? And that's going to actually help you make the decisions you need to make, you know? Absolutely. And honestly, at the end of the day, if the values fit, is right, all the other things don't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Maybe location, money, promotion, area in the organization. If the values fit is right, all that other stuff doesn't matter to you because you're just so much happier in that in that area. Yeah, spot on. But I think that is such great advice to share with folks. And on that note, you mentioned that you're an athlete and you know, Wow. Didn't know that you ran track at UCLA. That's incredible. I'm curious to hear about how your experience as an athlete, how do you even use that now, like in your work ethic? And I'm, I'm curious how that maybe comes into play for you. 
Well, I still get up at the crack of dawn, that's for sure. So, uh, you know, we practice used to be at 6 a.m. We would meet uh, right there at uh, on, on Bruin Walk uh, for uh-huh. you Bruins out there who are listening. And <laughs> sometimes do works on the track or we would go out to Santa Monica and do some brilliant workouts, uh, you know, right next to the beach there. Um, I just think you get in a mode where it's like self-talk is really important learning that the aspect of team, all of these things translate from athletics into the working world, learning about losses, right? You're going to do some things where you make a wrong decision. How do you bounce back? Right. Um, so I just think having that, uh, that tenacity and, and mentality is really important, especially in the world I'm in, because I treat my job, you know, it's very difficult when people look at these massive companies like Nike to really have that entrepreneurial spirit. How can you get in there and and change something that's as big as a battleship, right? But I'm in a fortunate position in my team. We started as a team of one. I was the second person on the team. We're now a team of six. And we can have that entrepreneurial mindset because we're launching a global initiative. So there is that ability, regardless if you're in a smaller or bigger organization, to really find your niche and really make the impact you wanna have. Um, And I think athletics taught me almost everything I, I knew in in that regard that is so cool yeah i mean i feel like athletics constantly surprise us right because even for myself you know i i wouldn't call myself very athletic but i read this book recently called the comfort crisis by michael easter i think you'd love it maybe i'll send it your way i'll add it to my list i'll add it to my list um, it's an amazing book and he writes about this concept of misogies it's a japanese term of challenging yourself to your physical brink to really fortify your mental health and so reading it i thought well what's my misogy honestly probably running a half marathon you know because before that I could maybe run like two miles and I'd be super winded. Well, that would definitely be your physical brink. That, that was my physical brink. But you know, I was so surprised Anthony because I, I no joke, I Googled on Pinterest, half marathon training for beginners. I trained for like, I don't know, three months. I ran the dang half marathon, you know? There you go. go. It's such a reminder, I think, you know, that our bodies, our brains are so much stronger than I think we, we give ourselves credit for sometimes. Absolutely. And, and to go off that point, you know, if you want to log those in the Nike app, I'm sure Nike would be very happy about that. Oh, I um, use the Nike running club the whole time. There you go. Subtle plug. <laughs> but yeah, it, I love that part so much. And the fact that you're a clinical psychologist, I really believe just understanding human behavior and, and, and how you process information, it can, it can make the difference um, in so many regards when you have the same physical limitation what normally puts you over is the mental toughness. And I, I, I love investing in that. Any book recommendation you have, please send over. I'll read that immediately. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Okay, my subtle plug, you should join our Brain Health Book Club. We talk about different books relating to psychology every month. So that was one of them. So I'll, I'll send Comfort Crisis your way. Um, mm-hmm. I thank you for coming on the show. One thing I noticed too, when I was doing a little LinkedIn stalking, I noticed for now over seven years, you've been volunteering with the LA Regional Food Bank. Wow, so you you do this incredible work and you still make time to give back and serve. And I'm curious to hear more about that experience for you, if it, if it shifted how you show up with the work that you do at Nike, how you make time for that still. I just think that's really cool to hear about. I think giving and gratitude are two of the most important things, right? Like if you're not giving back to the community 
who doesn't have, or the next generation, what are we really doing, right? That's the basis of really everything we do, why we show up to work. Um, so I think I mean, as it relates to making time, that's it's just a no brainer, right? It's just, it's just a must do. And food is one of those things, you know, when we sit on the Thanksgiving table, you know, um, I know it's easy to say I'm thankful for the food and, and all these other things. There's so many other things that we don't even realize that make up our day to day. Um, so really just tackling those basic things. Again, it goes back to gratification. It goes back to understanding, you know, both of my parents are immigrants. My mom came from uh, the Caribbean. My dad came from Italy. So I had a very different upbringing of understanding, like they both left their, their previous lives to come here and, and, and have that opportunity for, for me to be successful. So uh, I just think it's something that really gets my motor going and helps you appreciate the day-to-day -day. and um it's all about the impact yeah oh very very cool to hear and you know one thing we talk about on this podcast too is this notion of resilience too because it's to to bring in a little bit of a, a nike plug again it's a marathon not a sprint right and so with the work that we do and so i'm curious you know how do you find your resilience especially if you've had any roadblocks you've encountered i'm curious how you do pick yourself back up oh man um i think just slowing down you know we talked a little earlier how society and the, the speed of, of today's world is just so fast and I think just taking a break, sometimes just doing nothing, meditation, but also not realizing that I don't have all the answers. I think naturally we just want to figure everything out, especially when I was early in my career. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to ask for help, wanted to be self-sufficient, find the solution. But I, then I started looking, I was like, hold on, some of the most brilliant CEOs, most brilliant brains out there have executive coaches. Yeah. Like if, if these men and women who have the most incredible analytical creative brains in, in the world who are leading organizations all have executive coaches well maybe that's that that means something there maybe that's highlighting the fact that everybody needs a sounding board everybody needs another person to kind of bounce ideas off of mm -hmm. so i started realizing like it's not all about figuring it out by yourself mm -hmm. and really just having that network of people around you that you trust Mm -hmm. um, when you can have these, these tough times, cause they're, it's not a matter of if, but when they're coming. <laughs> that is the truth. That is the truth. And you literally read my mind. That was going to be my next question for you is about the power of mentorship. If you have a, a mentorship, you're willing to share or someone who's changed your life. I mean, I'm all for everything from a five minute to a five-year mentor. I really believe everyone we encounter, we can learn something from anyone who's changed your life in, in a small or a big way? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so many mentors to start off on. I first want to start with my family. Um, one of the most particular things that I could remember, I do not have a single recollection of ever waking up before my parents did. For them, the alarm went off at 4.30 every single day, Monday through Sunday. They're up at 4.30 in the morning. Both of my parents would have been in the same industry over 30 years. And I suddenly always noticed that, that like, I'm sleeping and they're, they're already grinding. They're doing their walk, they're going to work, they're cooking, they're preparing. So that always taught me, and I didn't even notice it until I started looking at my own wake up times, mm -hmm. but 
that just ingrained hard work and dedication and consistency because we all have ups and downs, but the consistency is really what keeps you. And then when I got to UCLA, obviously it was just a, a mind boggle, right? Across the street from Bel Air, Beverly Hills, all of these, um, Brentwood, right? All of these areas in which there was so much wealth around me. And I was just, you know, coming as, as a kid from the Bay Area, it was just, it, it just took me to a completely new spot. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. And I had the chance through my, my UCLA network to meet people who are very successful in their respective industries, be it in business, whatever. And I just started looking at a lot of the commonalities, how they treat other people, their day to day. And it just really inspired me just to be a better human, continue to invest in myself and look myself in the mirror and be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that stuff just goes a long, long way. Um, Cause man, I, I started using those, those lessons to invest in others and mm-hmm. I look up and it comes back tenfold. So it's really incredible. Oh, that, that is incredible. And wow, your parents sound amazing. It sounds like they really taught you a really powerful work ethic. And it sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like there was this like quietness in it. You know, I think sometimes you hear people wanting you to know, like, I'm, I'm doing so much, you know, I want to be seen in that. And it sounds like with your parents, there was such this almost like this quiet strength of like, we're, we're doing it, you know, it sounds like they really supported you. It's one of those things where it's like, sometimes I, I see other first generation Americans and the expectations are really high. Mm-hmm. For me, they were just happy, me content doing what I love. And so having that example, but also not the pressure to do X, Y, or Z really just gave me the ability to be creative, be exploratory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really made me to who I am today, no doubt. Oh, I hope they can hear this podcast episode. I'll send it to them. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a bit about what you do for your well-being. You know, there's a lot that you do. How do you still make time for your wellness on a regular basis? What does that look like? Yeah. So I really like to write down what I'm gratitude, you know, what what I'm grateful for rather. Mm -hmm. Um, And literally just seeing pen to paper helps me actually internalize it. I wasn't just thinking it, look, it's, it's written down, right? Um, right by my desk, I'm looking, I got, I got some plants because plants is earth, earth is life. Um, I have a diffuser where I can put all my essential oils in. So a lot of these things that seem like, oh man, it, it's, it's very Himalayan, it's very yoga, you know, continuing to invest in these things on, on a day-to-day basis is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, because no one's going to do that stuff for you, eating right, taking care of your health. So I think breaking all of these things down and making time for it and making a, it a priority, um, you see the benefit. Because on the other hand, when I miss like a week of working out, man, I'm not a sharp, I'm sleepy. There's all these other negative effects when you don't invest in your own well-being. And so uh, I think you know, a lot of UCLA track workouts got me in that, in that <laughs> mindset where I almost don't know any, an, another way of living. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, it's super important. Well, that's a great habit to get into. And it's, it's fascinating to me. Almost every guest I've had on the podcast so far has said that they exercise on not a daily, well, sometimes on a daily basis, but like in the morning, like check it off the list. Like that seems to be kind of a common theme. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a coffee person. I know um, a lot of people are, and I wish I was one of you. It's just not my thing, but a workout is my kickstart. It gets the blood go- going. I can move around a little bit and I just feel so much sharper. 
Um, so whatever like routine you have, it's just like sticking to it and it's hard, but, um, it's just, it's so important. Yeah. That consistency is key. Well, my last question, it's a biggie. And I, I asked all my guests this, so no pressure, Anthony, what do you hope your legacy will be? Oh man. You know, I don't know at what age, uh, you start thinking about legacy, you know, I'm, I'm 28 now, so maybe I'll have a different answer for you in, in a few years. For me, it's, I think it's going back to what, what was mentioned earlier. It's really about um, impacting diverse communities in an authentic manner. I really do believe in the power of business investment because I think, man, if people have access to capital, they can do wonders. A lot of times it's just those barriers. So for me, I really want to change the culture of not just the haves versus the haves nots, but Fortune 500s, corporate America, how it's not just Nike who's doing this. It's not just UPS, Accenture, Facebook. Um, it's any of the newer companies or super old companies. I want, I want this industry to become as known as other industries are. And by this industry, I mean the industry of supplier diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want it to be normal business pra practice where people don't even think about it. And um, including diverse owned business, Mm -hmm. is is just how we do work going forward um mm -hmm. so that that's where i want things to go i'll refine that in a couple of years maybe when we talk about it again <laughs> that seemed pretty refined to me <laughs> um that sounds like a beautiful legacy and i i hope that we will see that come to fruition i think we will i think we will um it's going to take all of us right so absolutely wow this has been an amazing conversation. I am so excited for people to get to listen to it and learn from you. Tell us, Anthony, where can people get in touch with you and any exciting Nike announcements that we should be aware of too? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, LinkedIn is great. You know, feel free to reach out. Um, you know, I stay pretty active on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about our specific program of business diversity and inclusion, you can go to purpose.nike.com slash business slash diversity slash inclusion. That will give you everything about our program, our ethos, our 2025 target of spending $1 billion with diverse-owned business. We're on our way. We're doing good. So that's coming. Um, another thing that's on the way is we're really trying to have more of a marketing campaign. Nike is a storytelling program. So in the coming months, I know it's Black History Month right now. Um, shout out to everyone who's celebrating Black history. Um, we want to really start pushing out this narrative in a typical Nike storytelling manner. It's going to be a heart wrencher. Just want to let you guys know that it's coming out soon. So check your social channels and other places so you guys can stay in touch with the latest and greatest. Oh, awesome. Well, we may have to, if it's out by the time we post the podcast episode, we'll definitely include that. Um, and if not, I will go back and put it in the show notes because I want to make sure people have access to it. Anthony, wow, what a treat to have you on today from a fellow Bruin. It is so amazing to hear about the incredible work you're doing. Can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and um, just keep doing the work you're doing. This has been great. Oh, thank you so much. Take good care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. Let's cultivate those networking skills starting today. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from listening and leave a comment and review to let me know what you think. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes and don't hesitate to tell me who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Don't forget that you're always welcome to watch the YouTube version of these episodes as well, if you'd like to experience this conversation visually. 
I always welcome your feedback and I hope today's dialogue sparked your own insights. Here's to fostering those healthy brains both in the boardroom and beyond.